when you're talking to the, the larger companies like Fastgas, you're going to find less flexibility. And when you're working with a smaller BPO, you're going to find more flexibility, which is a little bit more agile. Because of the stage company that we're at, um, we're able to make decisions in a different way and we're able to be quite flexible and really customize solutions for our clients. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. I'm excited to have another MMT member company on our podcast today. Marie Parker is the COO of Boulder. They're a global outsourcing powerhouse. Marie's journey from South Africa to becoming a leader in the global talent game is nothing short of inspiring. As a mom of two, she's got a fresh take on leadership, tying in her parenting adventures with building a killer company culture. In this chat, we're spilling the beans on why outsourcing with Boulder is a savvy move compared to the traditional hiring that most companies do. Marie and her CEO husband, David, are both MMT members, and yes, I've attended this annual mastermind for their first five years. From tax perks to labor law hacks, we're getting into the inside scoop as to why using Boulder makes more sense than going it alone. But it's not all about the business. We're jet-setting with Marie through her 14 years of global work adventures in four countries and how Boulder's vibe is shaped by Marie's cultural awareness, making it a kick-ass place to work. You can watch all of our podcast episodes on our Second in Command YouTube channel, or listen to them on Apple or wherever you subscribe to podcasts today. So Marie, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Thank you so much, Cameron. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, looking forward to having you on the show. We've done about 330 episodes right now. And I know a lot of our guests get intimidated by kind of the, the 15 logos that we put up on the highlight of the page. So don't sweat, you're gonna be just great. Um, we wouldn't have invited you if you didn't stack up with everybody else. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you, I appreciate that. I was like channeling my inner, inner Oprah as I was getting ready for this. I recently saw a clip of her saying that she's never been in a room that she didn't feel like she belongs. That is powerful. And right. I'm sitting here like, I'm in this room because I belong because I'm here. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> I've, I've, yeah, you're totally exactly right. I, I've had that same feeling. I've done paid speaking events now in 28 countries. And every time I'm invited on a stage, inevitably the first 30 minutes before I get on stage, I wonder why I'm there. Why did they invite me? Like so often it doesn't make any sense. And then somehow, you know, we are there because we're supposed to be. So, and you're clearly in the second command role because you're supposed to be. So why don't you start us off by telling us a little bit about the company, a little bit about Boulder and I know what the company is is all about, what you're working towards, and then we'll kind of get into your path to getting there. Sure, I love talking about Boulder. So we are, I guess, the, the easiest terminology that people like understand is we're an outsourcing company. We like to like play with the phrasing a little bit though and say that we will help you build your global team. So we have operations in a few different um, markets, um, Philippines, South Africa, Mexico and Canada, um, and we've decided to go deep rather than wide in these markets. And what typically happens is, well, what do you outsource or what are you a product expert in? And it's a tricky answer because it's easy to get your foot in the door with um, customer support. So a large portion of our team is in the support space, 
And that's just because it's an area of the business that people are generally comfortable with outsourcing. Like they understand it's a pretty known entity within that part of the business. But what we found as we grow in our partnerships with clients is as soon as you get in front of like the COO or the CFO within a company and they understand the magic that can be unlocked here and the, I guess, business like way of looking at it is I remember a, a CFO once looking at me he's like wait so I can turn my fixed cost into variable cost with you guys and I'm like yeah you can create a whole lot of flexibility you can reduce costs and you can actually feel really good about bringing opportunities to economies and markets in the world that really need it and if you do it with a thoughtful partner um, it's, I think it's a pretty cool experience so at the end of the day we're able to find talent in these markets and we can build a team for you in any area of the business but there are areas that um, we've found uh, not, uh, like some momentum with, which is customer support uh, or support engineers, even engineering or QA or manual QA, all the way to random teams. Like my favorite one to talk about is a uh, robot pilot. We have a client that installs and manages the robotic arms in fulfillment centers. And if that arm gets stuck, it pings one of our team members and they take over and like, yeah, <laughs> remote That's control amazing. arms. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So that's, that's us. We've been, been around for seven years, growing like crazy, and it's been, it's been a heck of a ride. When you started seven years ago and when you joined the company about five and a half years ago, was it around the customer support side of things? And then did you expand from there? Or what were your first few business areas that you were starting to find for people? That's a good question. It was definitely in customer support where um, our first clients, our first clients were there. And the context, I still think I, I have a lot of respect for David and how he got this business off of the ground. I think it's a wonderful story. And our origin story, I don't want to go into too much detail there, but often we say that our, our Boulder was founded in grief. I like to think that we were founded in, in a moment of clarity or a moment of um, introspection, depending on how you look at it. Um, and so to make a long story short, David had actually started an outsourcing company with a business partner who was a very close mentor and friend, a mutual friend of ours, who we'd worked with in a previous company where David and I had met. And he, a couple of years into that business, um, his, his partner, Jeff, um, passed away very unexpectedly. He was only 39 years old and he had an aneurysm. So it was a huge shock for for us being at that stage of life, like you haven't lost a lot of people close to you or any people close to you. It was a, a, a massive moment of like, hey, what, what am I doing? And why am I doing this? And like, what, what's my, my purpose here? And so David had, there were a few friends of this business partner who rallied around him and they'd been clients of this company. And they said, hey, we'll start you, we'll help you start your own business. And we had three clients prepay for three months of services. And that's how we funded it. So that's where wow. we started. And then we just grew it from there by being like really good at what we do and network like crazy and work really hard um, and through reputation and through, yeah, word of mouth. And then a little bit of like material that got out there and mostly, mostly through inbound, um, we, we grew over time. And people, I guess, have been doing kind of this outsourcing now for probably 20, 20 ish plus years now, I guess, kind of when, the internet exploded. It gave people the ability to have remote people, remote teams. But really, since the advent of Skype, when you could actually start interacting with people over video about 14, 15 years ago, it kind of began the, the human connection side. Have you noticed that some markets are better for talent than others? 
or is it becoming fairly ubiquitous that you can get great talent in all markets now? It used to be that, you know, China and the Philippines or India and the Philippines were all customer service. Then India became mm -hmm. tech. Like, does it matter anymore where the people are from? Um, I think generally speaking, no. Um, but there are, like, if I think of our technical sourcing, for example, I think that's probably where you can tell most I would say for customer support, you can find great talent anywhere. Like that's not um, better in one area than another necessarily. I think language, like uh, language ability is always a filter. Um, so if you're in an economy where English is a common second language, it really helps a lot and it makes it a whole mm. lot easier. If people are learning English at a young age and they're very comfortable with the language, it just makes it a whole lot easier than if it's something that they learn as an, as an adult. Um, but even that we've, we've managed to overcome through some investment and training, it just takes a little bit more effort. But then technical talent, um, definitely we find greater traction in South Africa and in, Mexico than, and, and in Mexico than we do in the Philippines. So there are some trends for sure. Now, one of the things that I seem to, to see happen is when companies tend to hire fractional people or outsource people, and if they're not using a service like yours, if they're doing it on their own, they tend to 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 break their own internal processes like the way that they would hire a full-time individual to come into their office and work for them 40 hours a week is not how they would tend to hire a consultant so where do companies go wrong when they're hiring these these freelance people or the offshore people um, on their own and, and where does your company provide i guess the gap for that yeah thank you i think that's a great question i don't think that there's and we come up against this um quite often where um we actually have a few of our existing clients, some of our larger clients who came to us with a handful, like 20 or so, um, one client comes to mind, 20 or so contractors in hand and going like, I, I need to do this in a different way. Because, and I, I recently interviewed this client to understand like, what, was, what, was, what made you think that you needed to do it differently? Like what made this not sustainable or scalable with contractors? And it was exactly that. He's like, it's just a scalability factor and there's a compliance issue as well. At a certain mm. state, depending on where you're at as a company, it's a little bit of a gray area because um, technically, if the individual is working for you in a full-time capacity and they should be a full-time team member, there's some tax liabilities. It's difficult for you to ensure that's being taken care of. And there's just social, um, social structures that people should have access to that they don't have as a contractor. So it's a little bit of a, a tricky area and it just it has its limits in terms of scalability. So I think there there are ways to set it up for success um, as a starting point, but at some point, and I think around 20 team members, and if you're looking to grow like significantly, well, it depends on the size of your business. I guess I'm, my frame of reference is this one client, um, and you're looking to grow significantly, having a partner who understands the market and understands the labor laws in that market is super helpful just to protect yourself and to protect the individual. And I'd like to... If you don't mind, just speak a little bit quickly about us being a B Corp. Um, we are the um, largest global outsourcing B Corp. And it's been a, a really handy, like, structure to use, language to use, and just, um, like, yeah, structure to use to understand how to do business in, in a way that um, is ethical. And it's driven us to, to ask some questions internally. And I think that there's... If I can back up just one more second, sorry, just one oh, more. Yeah. I, talked, I, I talked a little bit about where Boulder started. A big part of what happened in that moment of reflection when David decided to establish Boulder was him recognizing through his own personal experience in the industry that this industry tends to be extractionary. You tend to have the U.S. company benefits 
economically from this transaction and you have the outsourcing company benefiting economically and the, and the team member and the community tends to get marginalized. Right. So for us, our mission is here to make sure that that doesn't happen. Like we put our team members first, um, we invest in the local community. And I think that, that, that bleeds in a little bit into this contractor thing. Like when you are hiring independent contractors, are you um, helping that community or helping that, those individuals in a way that's sustainable is a question that I would ask. But you can set it up to work well if you treat the individuals like they're an extension of your own team. So I think you can make it viable. I just don't know how practical and scalable it is. And there's an ethical question for me about it. Yeah, I want to talk to you a little bit about the the tax setup and the labor laws component, but I, I just want to kind of comment on what you just mentioned. If you can make these, you know, outsource people more a part of your team, I think that's huge. And I remember about this is going back now, thirty years ago, we were using an outsourced call center to do telemarketing for a house painting company that I was building, and I used to go out to this call center every few weeks and bring pizzas and bring beer and bring soft drinks out, and I would buy pizza for a hundred people who are making phone calls for all of our franchisees. And I brought them t-shirts and we created games and like yeah. none of their other clients were doing that for them. And I'm like, well, if they worked for us full time, I would be doing that. I didn't understand why I wouldn't be. Is, exactly can, you, can you give us an example of how do companies make them a part of their team? Is it by sending swag over to the Philippines for them? What do they do to make these people feel more a part of the team? Yeah, first of all, thank you. That's beautiful that you did that. I think that's, that's exactly it. And the, little things can go a long way swag actually is sadly a part of it i have a lot of feelings about it like moving junk around the world we recently had a client send stuff made in china to us in the u.s to send to the philippines and i'm like oh something's broken <laughs> yeah so very I, I have ideas about how we can do it in a, in a um in a way that's kinder to the planet but at the end of the day the pride of the individual to put on that sweater that has the client name on it and for them to feel like a team and visually you know it's it, psychologically it has an impact on team members or individuals when they feel a sense of belonging just through that identity so it's it's a little thing but it does go a long way we've had a few clients invest their time and energy to actually come and visit the team members and to do that in South Africa or in the Philippines or in Mexico, it's a big ask. It's a, it's a big investment from a time perspective and even financially to travel. But the payoff is incredible because they train them the same they would train their own team members. And so they build those relationships. And then there's like some common courtesy. There's the, the way you onboard the team members. Are you like completely outsourcing the onboarding? So you do a train the trainer with my leadership and you leave it to them completely. Or do you keep a pulse on this in a way that maintains the connection and maintains that those team members still connected? The little things like including them in your all hands. If you have a team meeting that includes your entire team, are you inviting your outsource partners to sit in in that meeting and do they have a voice and do they get to participate? Mm, that's cool. Um, which is which is pretty powerful as well. To the to the people that we're hiring in these in these third like these other markets, do they feel like they're a team member of Boulder, or do you try to help them feel like they're a team member of your client's company? We definitely, that's a, it's a tricky like balance, and we try to balance it and make sure that they feel like they're a team member of both. Um, we do have, we have different service offerings, which includes um, an EOR, an employer of record model, and a fully outsourced model, and some integration, integrated teams like in between. 
And in an EOR model, like you pay us a, a small service fee and you are managing the team directly. So I don't take care of the team management and training and onboarding and so forth, but I help mm -hmm. with the sourcing and with compliance and HR practices. In that case, I actually tend to think that they will feel like they're uh, a part of the client organization more so than in Boulder. But in the totally. Boulder uh, managed outsourcing, they are my employee. I take care of them. I include them in all the Boulder things. And we have a whole bunch of engagement activities and um, structures. And they feel like they're the client. And we definitely try to, try to make both work. And also, if they're working, in which way, or is it in both ways, that, that you're making sure that they're set up correctly for tax purposes, both from the client side and then also, I guess, for the employee side? And so they're set up, you know, observing the proper labor laws, because I think that would be where a lot of clients um, might trip up. Is there, are they paying you and you're making sure that you're taking care of withholdings and tax filings? Is that how the setup works? Yeah, that's exactly it. I manage all of that complexity um, on behalf of the client. Um, it's actually interesting. We had a, a consultant come to work with us recently, and he's been wonderful and so helpful. And in the beginning, he he did a lot of work or tried to put a lot of focus on simplification and just like taking complexity out of the business. And it was interesting to me, I think it was six months into working with us, he had this moment, he's like, oh, but you actually take on all of the complexity on behalf of your clients. Our business in, is inherently complex because we're shielding our clients from all of that and we're taking it on their behalf. So all of the, mm -hmm. the risk and compliance we, we take care of and you pay like your flat monthly fee and you don't have to worry about it. I think you probably can get up to 60%, but I would say if you're with the right partner who's doing things in the right way and you want to have talent retained and make sure that they're being paid a fair wage, it's probably closer to 30%. That you're going to be saving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, so it's not, so it's really not as huge an opportunity for these companies to be offshoring like it used to be. I mean, it's still big enough, but are there it's certain roles? Are there certain roles where the savings is is really like a no-brainer? Like companies are just irresponsible to hire, you know, U.S. talent? Um, I think when it comes to like entry-level positions, I think that there's there's definitely a higher um, a higher probability. That's actually a really good question. I'm not I'm not super confident. I think percentage-wise, you're going to experience a greater benefit for entry-level positions. But then as you move up in the value chain, you you're creating career opportunities for those individuals. So you're going to retain talent for longer. And there's definitely a value proposition on all the different levels. But I would say, yeah, for your, your entry-level like customer support roles, it's kind of silly to try to pull and manage that in, um, in the U.S. Because I think that it's, um, it can be naive to think about, or we just got to be aware of, if you think about that percentage savings, that's just your cost to company um, savings, but what about the, the management of the team and all of the, mm -hmm. the risk that's being taken on? There's a lot of energy being saved from the organization as well. I'm curious what the, the difference is or what the reasoning would be for a, a client to go with someone like your services to help them source and onboard the talent versus going through a service like Upwork, you know, where I guess you're just hiring like a freelancer and taking your chance. What are the two or three kind of core reasons why you know, companies would would work with a service like yours instead of going on Upwork? I think it's um, definitely scalability is one of it. And then um, quality and retention is big. Like if you, it can get so expensive if you have high turnover, like the amount of time and energy and money that you spend on retraining people, if you have a high turnover is 
kind of makes it a bit, like not worth it at a certain point. Mm. And I think when you're working with a company that understands how to source the right talent in the market, they've got that talent acquisition like process nailed down and they know the right questions to ask and so forth and they know where to find the talent. And then they have best practices in terms of how to retain talent. It pays off in dividends, um, even though it might be a little bit more expensive. I wanted to take a quick break to tell you about something. The other day, I read about a COO writing about when the going gets difficult and how they were happy to be in the CEO mastermind group that they were. It made me remember that that's why I started the COO Alliance. It's a peer group and community for COOs and seconds in command of companies doing 5 million to 250 million in revenue. Our core group meets monthly online with other companies like yours. It's amazing because you get your frame broken tons of times and when you think there's only one way to do something and one way to feel about something, you get your perspective completely changed on a regular basis. We also host hundreds of COOs on our monthly mastermind calls and smaller groups twice a year at our in-person COO Connect events. So if you're the founder or owner of a fast-growing company, tell your COO to check it out. And if you are the COO, head on over to the COOalliance.com to learn more about becoming a member today. All right, back to the podcast. I'm curious about the differences between you and, and some of the other service providers that are out there. I mean, this is something that 10 years ago, no one had any idea that companies like yours even existed. And now there seems to be lots of, of companies out there. So how do you differentiate yourself between, and I can't think of any brand names. I don't think there's anybody that owns this space. Um, but how do you differentiate, you know, if, I, if, if you're talking to a client and say, hey, I'm talking to three other firms, what makes you different from the others? Yeah, I think that that's a great question. I think Task Us is probably a company that will come to a lot of people's minds just because they're really large and they're publicly traded. Um, and then there are a bunch of BPOs or outsourcing companies in our space, like mid-sized, um, like still emerging. I don't even know if we're still small or big at this point, <laughs> but the more emerging um, BPOs. And I think that there's... Um, when you're talking to the, the larger companies like Taskus, you're going to find um, less flexibility. And when you're working with a smaller BPO, you're going to find more flexibility, which is a little bit more agile. Um, because of the stage company that we're at, um, we're able to make decisions in a different way and we're able to be quite flexible and really customize solutions for, for our clients. If I think about, and we have that happen often where clients are like, hey, I'm talking to these, and it's usually like three or four competitors and we all know each other and we're all, it's all friendly, friendly competition at this point. Honestly, I think that there's, there's a few people in the market where I'm like, you know, the outcome is not going to be that different. You're just going to find the partnership that makes sense to you and the relationship that you feel is going to um, serve you in, in that moment. I do, I mean, we are, we obviously put a lot of intentionality around our community work and being a B Corp and doing right by our team members and feeling good about investing in the community. It's never at the expense of quality or speed or any of the other like basic needs. So I do, but I don't know that that, my hope is that that's not going to be a differentiator in the future. And my hope is that every BPO will just do this as the baseline and they'll be <laughs> really nice to their people. But at this point, I can tell you that our retention stats are pretty good for the industry because of how we operate. So I'd say if you're looking at different competitors, just make sure that you ask the right questions about 
more than the the surface level like RFP questions and just go a layer deeper and understand if your values align. And if you have values alignment, you can't go wrong. And that actually can go either way. Because if your values are relatively cutthroat and you want to work with somebody who's going to be as cutthroat, that's why you should do that. <laughs> like that could be a differentiator. So maybe the, I'd say price, you're not going to get a lot of differentiation. Quality, there's a few, you know, there's a few of us that are, are pretty, pretty equitable, but then are your values aligned? I love it. Okay. Now your CEO, um, David, is a part of the Entrepreneurs Organization. He's been a part of the EMP program at MIT. Curious what, you know, is he a part of any other organizations where he's trying to work on his skills? And are you a part of any groups? Where are you working on your skills as the COO? Sure. We're both a part of MMT, which I think you've oh, um, MMT, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is uh, great. It's been phenomenal and, and a beautiful investment in what I love about MMT is it's an investment in you as an individual and as a person as much as it is in your um, in your career professionally. Um, and then we just joined YPO this year. Um, that's been huge. Wow. That's yeah. blown my mind. Yeah, YPO will definitely blow the doors off in terms of your connections and networks too. What city are you based in? You're based in California, correct? We are, yeah. So we're in the Santa Monica Bay chapter. So David's okay. a member, and then I'm in a, a partner forum. I actually have my forum meeting in like an hour from now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're both getting the experience of forum. We're getting the experience of all of the, the beautiful events. And I have to say that I think YPO has really cracked the nut in terms of creating, who is it? Somebody that, I think it was Dr. Dan, a teacher that we, we work with, who said that um, relationships, move, relationships move at the speed of vulnerability. And I think it's beautiful when organizations like YPO and MMT have figured out how to just like cut through to that vulnerability to the point where you can build relationships quickly and they're real. They're not superficial. They're not just for, you know, for financial benefit or anything like that. Like people really care about each other. And when you build that level of connection with people um, like these, these incredible, incredible individuals and the things that they've achieved, it's, it's pretty magical. So, yeah, is that Dan Engel that you do work with? Yeah, he's great. MMT stands for Mastermind Talks. I attended the very first five years of Mastermind Talks with Jason and Candace, and then I stopped going. And my sister, Christy, has gone to the last five years. So I don't know if you met Christy Harold. She's my sister. She's kind of got the curly hair. Yeah, so she's been at the last five. Yeah, yeah. So we, we've covered all 10 years just to make sure we kind of um, get the tentacles out. But great organization, great growth. But you're right, YPO is going to take you to, to another whole level. In terms of your growth as the second commander, as the COO, you know, so MMT is one. What have you worked on as the organization has scaled? How have you had to change as a leader as the organization has grown over the last six years? Oof, a lot. Um, I think, and I think that's the, the Warren Rothstein quote that I, I put in the notes that I sent to you. Um, and it was when David was coaching with him and he's like, you know, it doesn't matter how um, quickly your business scale as, as and grows as a leader, you have to grow faster. And that's, that can get quite intimidating. Um, it's a lot. So for me personally, I've, um, the networks are great, but they're, they're great in their own context. I've invested in um, coaching. So I definitely have, I've had a few executive coaches as I've gone along, depending on the moment I'm in and the need and, and where I'm at. So executive coaches are great. Actually, honestly, a therapist is incredibly helpful. <laughs> like this army of people helpful. around you to just, keep you sane and keep you grounded and that you're not going crazy. Um, and uh, hiring in consultants when you know that you're in over your head and just knowing 
like knowing what you don't know is I think half the battle and being mm. honest with yourself and not that your ego get in the way. And then hiring into consultants, just learn as much as you can, as quickly as you can from them. Um, and knowing when to hire the talent in to, to supplement as well um, has been super helpful. But yeah, I, I definitely on a daily basis feel like I'm not maintaining the gross rate. <laughs> I get it. We're, we're always there. In my, in my most recent book, it's called The Second in Command. I actually talked about engaging a marriage counselor um, between the, the CEO and the COO quite often because it is kind of the business marriage. So I'm curious how you work with the CEO and your company on those kind of conflict areas, on the communication areas, on um, deepening trust. And then we'll go into like the personal side of, of um, the relationship as well. I want to go there a second. Yeah, sure. I think those are intertwined for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think with David and I, we've worked together for a while now. We've known each other for many, many years. Um, we met back in... 2011, I think, we were working at a large um, corporate organization together and been friends for a while. Um, and I think having, you know, I was the first executive that he hired into the company. Like he uh, started this business, like I said, from scratch, bootstrapped, um, first 18 months was really intense. And then I jumped in and, and worked with him from there. And we have as we have grown, we have hired other, there was, has been a moment where we had other executives join the organization and that ended up not working out. And I'd say that in that process, there was a lot of learning about what works and what doesn't work. And um, we just, yeah, it's a lot of learning and growing when you make mistakes. Oh, not mistakes, I guess, just as things evolve, let me rather put it that way. So in that evolution, there was a lot of learning. The way we manage I don't know if I can separate the personal from the professional at this point, like, because honestly, we have, um, we lean a lot on coaching and, and therapy and in some combination at different times. We, um, as of 2021, let me get it right now, as of 2022, we have invested in a relationship with the Conscious Leadership Group. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They wrote the book, The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. It is wonderful. And it's a super helpful like framework and structure just to make sure we all have the language for how we want to operate. Mm. And we invested in like a, a uh, hands-on workshop with our leadership team. And um, we've been doing on, ongoing coaching with one of, the, one of the coaches through the conscious leadership group. And that has actually been really helpful because we do individual. And then we would do joint coaching and bring practical examples of challenges that we're having. And what I love about them, it's not just a practical resolution from a business perspective, but it's taking it that level deeper of like, what is the, um, the feelings that are getting in the way and they make you step on a drama triangle, which is painful and it's really helpful, but it's really hard. <laughs> just basically like own your shit so that you can like show up um, and be present. And uh, the terminology that they like to use is being above the line versus being below the line. And when you're above the line, you could be creative and work together. And when you're below the line is when you're triggered. And if you're coming from a mm. place of being triggered, then there's no resolution. That's so true. I mean, now, to be fair, you and David come from a bit of an unfair advantage because you're also husband and wife. So you also have the intense amount of trust and kind of relationship with each other. And you get all the time to spend to each, with each other outside of the business. How do you prevent the business from taking over the relationship? Because we often, we don't really talk about that enough. I did not, I was kind of naive, I think, in the beginning about just how much work that would take and how much intentionality that would take. And, you know, we've been, been together for 
two two and a half years now i think and it's been um you know yeah it's been a beautiful ride and uh there's a part of it that it, it's helpful that we worked together before we got into a relationship um there's a little bit like that groundwork was kind of set there already we know how to work together so we know you know the the new stuff is the relationship part of it and yes protecting that relationship from the business side is really hard so we set some ground rules there's no talking about work in in the bedroom um we you know there's certain like moments where we just have to call each other out and say like hey can we just not talk about work today or just set the boundary and then hold each other accountable to that and say like this is not the conversation we're going to have and it's hard because it's such a big part of your life and it's so much fun to create with somebody that you care about and who you love yeah. and it's, it's it's creative right so it's it's energy it's exciting and totally we enjoy it but you cannot let that be your whole identity because i think there's a lot of risk in that and it's not as much fun honestly it's a little I think it's it's not unlike um, in, in a lot of married couples. It's like you tend you you start just talking about the kids, right? And it's very similar to that. And so I have two boys from my from my marriage, um, and so we have both of those. Like we can't just talk about the kids. We can't just talk about work. And we got to create space for for us, just being us. It's interesting. Like I I go back to when I was building one eight hundred got junk, and I was the COO, and Brian was my best friend as the CEO. You know, we took the company from 14 employees to 3,100 employees in six and a half years. And we were a thousand percent all in on 1-800-GOT-JUNK. It's all we talked about. It's all we cared about. And about a year after I left the company, I found out that he loved to ski. I'm like, how did I not even know? Like, first, we lived in Vancouver. Second, I owned a place up at Whistler. Third, like, how did we never know that you even liked to ski? Right. Because we never talked about it. We literally... Wow. Uh, we're so obsessed with the business in a very unhealthy way. And I think it's dangerous when when individuals or couples do that. Talk about your yeah. journey um, coming out of South Africa. I mean, you said the word can't. I grabbed the accent, but I also knew that you were originally from South Africa, left you know years ago. What was your journey from South Africa um, kind of as a as growing into into a business leader, you know, going to the UK, yeah. going to Belgium? Where did you grow? It was amazing. Um, yeah, I like to say I grew up on the privileged side of a, a very broken system. You know, I think I was a teenager and um, when apartheid was finally over and when Nelson Mandela was elected president. So there was a lot of change in the country while I was pretty young and I grew up in a white upper class household, which is pretty conservative. So on a certain side of it, which is um, also controversial, like, as I didn't, you know, subscribe to these belief systems that my family or a lot of people in my family were indoctrinated with. Um, so that was tricky to navigate. And, but I think as a teenager, you're inherently rebellious against something. So I guess part of, just part of, part of the game. I just craved independence from a very young age. Like the moment I could work, I worked. The moment, I think I was, it wasn't even my 16th birthday yet and I convinced this restaurant to hire me because I was going to be 16 within like a couple of months or something. So the moment I got, I got a job, the moment I could get my license, I got a license. I've been working since I was 16 years old and just craved independence and craved uh, adventure. Like I always knew that I wanted to see the world and I wanted to travel and just see the world. And my parents are also, I'm very fortunate. My parents created incredible opportunities for us. They took us on fantastic vacations to 
Zimbabwe one year, which was incredible, to Mauritius, to Thailand. Like they created opportunities for us to experience the world in unique ways. And I think that that's where the, the bug bit. And it's like, hey, I want more of this. This is incredible. Like that first time you go to another country and you realize that people are just people, even though they yeah. speak a different language and eat different food and all this like otherness that Gava scared as little ones and it all melts away. It's huge, it's liberating and it's exciting. Um, and so early in my career, I, I knew that I wanted to move, but I was building a career. I bought a house. I'm 23 years old. I have a house. I have a career. Like, how am I ever going to get out of South Africa? And I started um, manifesting. I started writing my gratitude journal every night. Thank you for an opportunity to see the world, to maintain my career and keep my house. And I thought, there's no way this is going to happen. Something's got to give. And uh, a few months later, my boss came to me. I was working at a freight forwarding company. Uh, international logistics and she's like hey do you want to move to the uk we want to try an exchange program i was like oh sure <laughs> and i worked for that company for 14 years wow. i maintained my career i lived in four different countries with with that company and i sold the house in south africa to buy a house here in the u.s um yeah so God, manifesting work <laughs> manifesting totally work. works and i and i agree about the whole world and just being able to explore we've um my wife and i sold everything a little over two years ago and we've been traveling full time so we're complete nomads right now so the whole ability to live globally and work globally is an incredible experience what are some of the business lessons that you've learned from living and working in belgium in the uk and then also now having operations in i think you mentioned canada the philippines south africa what are some of the differences that that business leaders have to kind of you know work around or, or how do we have to work differently with some of these different cultures um, there's definitely, yeah, there's definitely cultural awareness is important. I think growing up in a very multicultural like um, environment in South Africa was helpful because I think I had had some perspective on it. And then living in these different places definitely just helps you create, a, uh, become aware of like sensitivities or level of sensitivity that you might need to have, um, being considerate. But at the end of the day, honestly, people are people, right? And people's needs are, are people's needs. There are nuances that are important to be aware of from like socioeconomic perspectives in certain countries, um, for sure. For me personally, growing up in a developing economy that was fraught with corruption, I felt very um, uh, familiar when I went to the Philippines the first time. I was super confused at first. I was like, wait, but this is so different than South Africa, but yet I feel I feel a familiarity, and it was it was exactly that. It's these infrastructure challenges that are created because of the developing economy and because of corruption. The challenges are very similar. So mm -hmm. I think having awareness of challenges that people may face in the developing economy is really important. I, I actually did a talk about this um, at a conference once where it's between customer support, right? We expect these individuals to show up with a happy demeanor and emp empathetic um, in their daily work here to support, right? And when you have a little bit of context into like somebody's life and them having commuted maybe two to four hours to get to where they're at um, in South Africa, navigating, you know, some pretty gnarly things. I don't want to paint a, a, an overly dramatic picture here, but there's there's a level of intensity that individuals deal with and the ask for them to show up as an empathetic individual when they're talking about luxury goods. It's, it's a big shift that you're asking for. So I think just having a little bit of empathy and awareness and, and context to that is helpful because you can make space for the whole human at work. Um, so cultural sensitivities for me really goes to understand a little bit of the language, Make sure you make those human connections and just do make the effort to understand the context 
um, that an individual is coming from to allow them space to show up as, as their whole selves. And do you think that that kind self. of, do you think that kind of cultural awareness and that kind of awareness of the individual is part of why your company culture is so strong? Like, is that something that you've brought in and infused into the whole organization or is that something, you know, just you as a leader? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it's in our values for sure. And it's definitely, um, part of who I am. I think, I spoke to the experiences that I had, the opportunities I had to travel the world and, and have these incredible experiences as a young adult and at 25 to go and live in another country. It's one of the biggest personal development things I think you can do. Um, you just have to settle in a, in a foreign country and figure it all out. There's no mom and dad to pull. Like, you've got to make it, you know, make it and figure it out. And having had the opportunity to pay for those kinds of experiences in Boulder is what keeps me going, like it's part of what keeps me excited about what I do. So there's definitely a level of intentionality that I've brought to the culture that we're building at Boulder that comes from my personal experiences and even the experience in the 14 years that I worked at at the freight forwarding company. Um, they were called UTI, it's an unfortunate name for a company. <laughs> um, and it's a lot that I learned from that culture. And I think it's why David and I gravitated towards each other in building this, just because we came from a similar frame of reference with this international experience and understanding what it takes to make that work. Makes sense. All right, Marie, I want you to go back to the 21, 22 year old. You're just getting started in your business career. What advice would you give the younger you that you know to be true today? Oh, I actually read this one recently. Oh, actually, no, I heard you ask this in one of your podcasts and I was like, how the heck would I answer that? And I was thinking, you know, there's, there's a big part of me. I've gone through some, you know, at, at this stage in life, I've gone through some heartaches and some, some you know, heartbreak and it's tough to, tough to process those, but I, I've managed to get to a point of gratitude to understand that all of my experiences have led to me being here now. So I do have a level of gratitude that actually makes it hard for me to say that we've done anything different, right? Mm. I'm like, hey, but I like where I am. If I could do it with less stress and just being a little less serious, I think that would be great. Just don't take yourself so serious. Have more fun. Lighten up and stop sweating the small stuff. I think yeah, it's all small stuff, right? I'm right there with you on the serious side too. Have you been able to go and do the day at prison with uh, MMT with Jason? Um, we're doing it in February, actually. Yeah, awesome. It will, yeah. it will profoundly change you. I did it with him about six years ago. It was spectacular. Yeah, I can't even, and, and it's amazing how the prisoners will talk about how all of their hardships have made them who they are today and how the world will be much harder on them than the parents ever have been. I was just mm -hmm. thinking that I was so hard on my kids. He's like, dude, you've been great on your kids. Like the world's way harder on, on your kids than you've ever been. All right, Marie Parker, like the COO for Boulder. Thanks so much for sharing with us on the Second Command podcast. Thank you so much. Really Thank appreciate it. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.